0: Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, "'I thought I should bring the matter to your attention "'and suggest that you buy it "'in the presence of these seated here "'and in the presence of the elders of my people. "'If you will redeem it, do so. "'But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. "'For no one has the right to do it except you, "'and I am next in line. "'I will redeem it,' he said. "'Then Boaz said, "'On the day you buy the land from Naomi, "'you also acquire Ruth the Merbite, "'the dead man's widow.' In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Now, at this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Bowers, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women who is com- uh, coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David.
1: Great, right, thank you, James. It's good to be with you again. I wonder uh, if someone was to uh, describe you uh, amongst the different phrases they might use to do so, would they include kindness? Could they describe you by your kindness. Is that how people know you? Is that how your family know you, your colleagues know you? Kindness should be one of the hallmarks of any Christian, and therefore any church. Why? Because we are a people who have experienced the amazing kindness of God in Jesus. And the more we know of that, it should just overflow into the relationships around us. Well, kindness is one of the great themes of the Gospel, and it's perhaps the central theme of this little gem <coughs> of the story tucked away in the Old Testament, Ruth, and And Ruth has got much to teach us, much to kind of warm our hearts as we see the kindness of God being lived out. And we're going to see that all the more as we come to the conclusion in chapter four. As Teresa said, we've enjoyed a uh, a three-week break since chapter three uh, for good reasons, of course, but we need to understand there's no break at all in the action here. Um, the, The action in Ruth really accelerates through the book. So chapter one takes place over the course of a decade when you remember Naomi and her family head off from Israel to Moab, and uh, there's the great tragedy of her losing her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons. And she returns, where she says empty, she's got uh, in tow, she's got uh, Ruth, one of her Moabite daughters-in-law. And then chapter two takes place over a season, harvest season, as Ruth goes out to glean in the fields, And uh, it just so happens that she ends up in the fields uh, belonging to Boaz, uh, a wealthy and godly man who just so happens to be a guardian redeemer of hers. In other words, a relative of Naomi's who could potentially provide for these two women. And we we see his kindness to her at that time. Uh, Chapter three takes place on one night, basically. Uh, A daring plan cooked up by Naomi for Ruth to go to Boaz at the end of the day when he's asleep, and to sort of lie next to him, wake him up, and then propose to him. And, uh, and then she, she does that so that she says she, he might raise up a child, uh, a son, to continue uh, Naomi's family line. That's what he understands. And Boaz is amazed that Ruth would do such an amazing thing. So he says, yes. Um, problem is that there is another guardian redeemer who is more closely related. And he has first refusal. Uh, So in the morning, Ruth goes back to Naomi, she explains. And chapter three ends with Naomi saying, wait and see, wait and see what happens. Boaz won't rest until the matter is settled today. And she's right, because chapter four starts, meanwhile, Boaz (coughs) uh, went up to the town gate. Uh, So things are coming to a head, what's gonna happen? What will the other man do? Will Ruth get to marry Boaz? Will Naomi be provided for? We need to hurry to the town gate because there's like a very important meeting going on. We've got to find out what happens. And the first thing we learn is, where well, we learn about the cost of redemption, the cost of redemption, verses one to 10. So we're at the town gate, and we need to understand the town gate's not just an entrance in a wall. It was more like an open plaza where the, the business of the town was conducted. So uh, the experts say that when they excavate these places, they often find there are a lot of benches around the gates, um, where places where people could sit. And if you look at the beginning, you'll see that, that there's lots of sitting down going on. Uh, verse one, Boaz went to the town gate and sat down there. Just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over, sat down. And then Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. Do you see? He's convening a meeting and uh, he's called in some respected elders to be witnesses of what goes on it just raises the stakes on what is about to happen Boaz explains verse three Naomi who's come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech now you might be thinking oh hang on I didn't know Naomi had any land I thought she didn't have anything at all why, why couldn't Ruth go and glean in Naomi's fields Um, And we're not really told what happened, but it's not hard to imagine. Remember, Naomi and Elimelech, the family, they'd go off to Moab for 10 years. That land wouldn't have just been left doing nothing, sort of lying, sort of fallow. Likely, someone else had moved in and taken ownership of it. And not easy for a a widow to come and claim it back. She needs a, a family redeemer to help her out. So Boaz continues. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know for no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. So there's the opportunity for this man. Buy the land for Naomi. And obviously with that comes the responsibility to provide for Naomi in her old age. But you know, that might not be too long. And then that'll be his. Uh, the land will just become part of his estate. So he thinks, simple, yep, I'm in. I'll redeem it, he says. But then Boaz shows that as well as being a godly man, he's a shrewd man. He says, (coughs) verse five, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Um, The word acquire doesn't mean that uh, the wife was just seen as part of the property. It, It means more like, you ought to take her under your wing, take responsibility for her. And notice the reason he must do that is to maintain the name of Elimelech and his sons so that the family might have that very precious thing to the Israelites, an inheritance in the land. And so we come to the crunch. This is where it's been leading. What's he going to do? At verse 6, at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So this unnamed man pulls back. Why? Because it's too costly. Um, If he has to marry Ruth, then he's got to provide for her as well as Naomi. Ruth is going to be around for longer, likely, if she has any kids, more mouths to feed. And most importantly, if she has a son, then he will inherit the land. So he's going to kind of lose out on that compensation. It's just too costly for him. Now, we're not to think that he's being particularly selfish. He's just taking an ordinary, practical decision. In verse 1, Boaz calls him my friend. And apparently that phrase just means, like, Mr. So-and-so. He's just an ordinary Mr. So-and-so, making an ordinary, practical decision. And he sees that the cost of doing this is just way too high. It's not the kind of thing that people ordinarily do. But here's the point. Boaz is different. By contrast with just Mr. Ordinary so-and-so, Boaz is willing to pay the full cost. And so he finalises the deal uh, by means of a rather peculiar custom we don't really understand, this uh, symbolic handing over of a sandal. Uh, maybe it demonstrates that one party is sort of stepping into the shoes of another, something like that, I don't know. But as it's witnessed, Boaz reminds everyone of what has just happened. It's official. Nine... Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech and the sons. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. And as readers, so are we. It's like we're at the meeting, isn't it? We saw it happen. And we are to take note of this costly decision that Boaz is prepared to make. So what is this teaching us? It's this principle. God's blessings only come through a costly redemption. God's blessings only come through a costly redemption. So let me unpack that. The end of the book of Ruth is full of blessing, isn't it? And we'll look more closely in a moment. But it's a happy ending with a happy ever after. I mean, there's a wedding and there's the birth of a baby and everything sad has become happy. I mean, if this was a musical, then all the townspeople would be moving into the background uh, and, and they'd be ready for the big final happy number, wouldn't they? But what the start of this chapter teaches us is that all of the happiness at the end only comes because Boaz is prepared to pay the price. He's prepared to redeem, even though the cost is very high to himself. Now, can you see what an amazing picture of the gospel that is? The gospel, the message of Christianity, offers us amazing blessings. Just think of them. The complete forgiveness of our sins, wiped out, a clean slate. Uh, Adoption into God's family, belonging to him, calling him father, Uh, having the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we can look forward to a happy ever after, We're going to be with the Lord and see him face to face. And one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we will share in his inheritance, he says. "Then God's plan to bless us is just amazing. It's just way beyond our understanding. But all of those blessings only come because a redeemer, Jesus, was prepared to pay the full cost. He paid the price. Not just endangering his estate. He paid with his life. As Peter says, you know, it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. This uh, little story goes right to the heart of the good news, doesn't it? You know, sometimes, sometimes we can live as though the, uh, what we're supposed to do is basically do enough good stuff so that God will bless us. And this just reminds us, that's completely upside down. God's blessings come not through what we do, our efforts, or what we do, but by him bearing the full cost himself. He laid down his life so that you might receive eternal life. So we need to stop trying to do it yourself. Come to him, ask him that he would pay the price for you. If you've never done that before, it's something you can do, something you need to do. And uh, we need to hold on to that, don't we? Not lose sight of it. Let's remember the cost of our redemption. Think of the price he paid and then just see, see his uh, overwhelming kindness to us. Well, finally, we come to the uh, so happy ending of the book. And, uh, but it's not quite... And it's not quite the Hollywood ending, this. Um, Don't get me wrong, it's a very happy ending, but it's told in an interesting way. The kind of main events that we would focus on are almost overshadowed by the people who are looking on, commenting on it, and they explain the kind of wider significance of what's happening. But the big thing is this at the end of Ruth, we see the promise of fullness. The promise of fullness. Do you remember the book starts with that great experience of emptiness? As uh, Naomi returns from Moab, they've lost all the men in their family. She says she's returned empty. But now, as we hear that Boaz is going to p- bear the cost of redemption, we start to see the promise of new life and fullness. So first from verse 11, you get the, just the reaction of everyone who's been witnessing this meeting at the gate. They say, we are witnesses. And what do they say? May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Right, no pressure, Ruth, but this, that's, they want Ruth to be like both of Jacob's wives, who between them had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Lots of life coming through Ruth, they say. And then they go on. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now that's a long story, and not a not very nice one, Genesis 38. All I'll say is it's, an, it's another example of a dead man's family line continuing through someone else acting as a, as a sort of guardian kinsman redeemer. It's completely at the other end of the, mor- <coughs> of the moral spectrum, trust me. Um, but it's like they're saying may you be another case of a great family continuing through a very surprising union. And so the men at the gate, just watching, they just anticipate uh, Boaz is he's not just going to continue a family line, they're seeing fullness for the nation. Uh, then we come to the, the, the events, the wedding and the baby. But these central happy family events, they're described so quickly that you know, if you sneezed, you'd miss it, really. So verse 13, it just... Boaz took Ruth she became his wife when he made love to her the Lord enabled her her to conceive and she gave birth to a son you know if if you're thinking of choosing a hat for the wedding it's too late Um, because actually we move straight to a sort of baby shower now because the next voices are the women of Bethlehem and they help us to see how God is bringing fullness to Naomi verse 14 that the women said to Naomi praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And now they talk about the baby boy. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Isn't it lovely how Ruth is now being exalted in that way? Uh, remember when she came back, she was just this Moabites. Um When Naomi returned and said she felt empty like Ruth was invisible standing next to her. But now they're recognizing her incredible love for Naomi. Interestingly, this book, which is sort of seen as a kind of love story, the, 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 the only occurrence of the word love is here, describing Ruth's, ex- Ruth's extraordinary commitment and loving kindness for Naomi. And it's interesting that in a, in a culture that very much prized the provision of a son, she's declared, Ruth is declared to be better than seven sons in all she's done. And that's highlighted as Naomi takes the child in her lap. Verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. This woman who once said she was empty, she's being filled once again. Now Naomi uh, only knows the very beginning of what God will accomplish through the baby in her lap. He will provide for her in her old age, but there's much greater fullness to come And it's the narrator of the book who kind of points us forward to the greater significance of what's happened. As he records the child's name, we're told they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the author ties the family into the line of Judah and his son Perez, tracing it forwards then to David. And Of course, it's through David that God will bring great blessing. Through King David, he blesses the nation. They become secure, prosperous. Do you remember the book of Ruth started by telling us that this happened all in the time of the judges? That was a time of <coughs> political and moral chaos. But it ends with the promise of a king who's going to bring godly leadership and great blessing. And of course, the story doesn't end there. Because if you turn to the New Testament, that family line continues through the generations all the way to Jesus Christ, to the promised king from David's line, who brings our ultimate redemption through his costly sacrifice and he is the king in whom we find fullness Uh, just as the book of Ruth tells the story of how God brings Naomi from that state of emptiness and he starts to fill her once again doesn't the gospel tell us how Jesus died to rescue us from emptiness talks about the empty way of life that we see don't we? we 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 experience it ourselves. We see it all around us, living without God, living for self, trying desperately to be self-sufficient, empty ways of life. And Jesus says, no, follow me. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Paul says to Christians in Colossians 2, you've been given fullness in Christ. And he says that the one who didn't spare his own son will surely one day graciously give us all things. Come to Jesus and find fullness. It's a great promise, isn't it? We experience all kinds of emptiness in this world, in this fallen, broken world. Like Naomi, some of it is inflicted on us. Uh, Some of it we bring on ourselves. But trace the lines in Ruth and all of them lead us to Jesus as the one, the only one, in whom we find fullness. So there's the book of Ruth, a book about extraordinary kindness. Think about where we see it. We see it in Boaz, in his generous protection, provision, his willingness to make a costly redemption. We see it in Ruth in the way that she clings to Naomi and the way she's willing to raise a child to continue her family line. But above it all, we see the loving kindness of the Lord, fulfilling his big plans to bless his people through his king. So as we uh, leave the happy scenes in Bethlehem, let's, let's do that as people who know this loving kindness of our God, as we see it expressed in Jesus. And then let's be, let's be people who, because we know that kindness, because we know he's paid the price for us, because we know he's going to bring us fullness, Wouldn't it be great if that kindness overflowed in our lives? That we would be instruments of kindness to one another in the ways that we speak and the ways that we listen, the ways that we respond, (coughs) the things that we do for one another. And that that kindness might overflow also to others that they might come to him and find fullness in him too. Let's pray the Lord would do that. Our Father, we thank you so much for the the way that this this wonderful book just points us again uh, to you and to your goodness to us and your kindness to us in the Lord Jesus for that great price that he paid for us because we could never pay it ourselves. we thank you, we pray that we might know just the the wonder of that costly sacrifice that might be precious to us each day. And we thank you too for the promise of fullness in him. Help us not to Believe the lies of the world that tell us that we can find fulfilment elsewhere. Help us to look only to him, to trust in his promises. And we pray, Lord, that your kindness might truly overflow in our lives, in our relationships, that the glory might go to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.